Welcome to our GSP Ace of the Day segment, a show where I offer my picks for each and every day's matches at the 2022 Australian Open. I do apologize for the lack of this segment yesterday. I was on the broadcast for the Illinois-Ohio State-Illinois-Chicago State doubleheader in Champaign as such. Just didn't feel comfortable with the amount of research I had done. Didn't feel as though I could justify my picks. To all of you listeners, certainly looking at yesterday's matches, there were some shocking results on the board. Would have 100% whiffed on the Alex Virev, Denis Shapovalov match. Shapovalov not only upsetting the number three seed, doing so in straight sets at a minimum, probably would have taken the over three and a half sets in that match. I also would have probably gone Vika over Krejcikova, Sakari over Pagula would have been incorrect about that. Now, there were definitely some kernels of you know positivity for us to take away from the day. Again, I think I would have gone Keys over Bedosa, certainly Ashley Barty, Rafa Nadal, Guillermo Fees, all comfortable favorites, favorites I would have backed on the day as well. But the reason I bring all of that up, we've reached the fourth round of this event. As such, the margins between all of these players so thin, everyone to some extent has to have played some good tennis to get to this point of the tournament. And as such, it makes this segment that much more difficult moving forward. Of course, let's reset here as we head into our fourth round picks. We're 15 and 7 to date, up 0.00 units overall. So essentially, we're started neutral here as we approach week two. And hopefully, I think we have a grip on who has succeeded, who is playing their best tennis, who's played a significant amount of tennis and therefore may be a bit fatigued heading into round number four. Who are the players we should be looking at towards the end of this tournament as well? Maybe it is time to pull the trigger on a couple of futures bets. What have we hit on more? Or, uh, money lines, excuse me, or over-unders or game spreads, parlays, those sorts of things. It's time to take stock of everything we learned from week one, apply that here to week two to guarantee some success for all of us down the home stretch of the year's first Grand Slam. And of course, on today's show, what I want to do as I do on this segment each and every day, set the scene for all of you listeners. Talk about what you can expect on day eight try to talk about each of the matches a bit, but then, of course, talk about where I see value on the day's plays, run through the money lines, the over-unders, the game spreads, the parlays, the futures, and so much more, as always. With that in mind, two things uh, just I want to remind all of you listeners of. I'm going to refer to the tennis abstract singles draw forecasts. You can find those percentages, the forecast moving forward at tennisabstract.com. Of course, all of the odds I refer to are the odds offered by our friends at the DraftKings Sportsbook as well. With all of that said, also would remind all of you listeners, again, recaps found each and every day over on the mini break podcast feed, but you didn't come to hear about that. You want to hear my picks, my thoughts on date. So let's get into it. Here are my thoughts, my GSP aces of the day for day eight at the 2022 Australian Open. Let's start with the percentages and with that in mind, the money lines as well. You look at our friends at Tennis Abstract, their draw forecast. Only one match here on day eight falls within that 60-40 percentage point platform. And that match is happening on the women's side. Danielle Collins, a 59.9. Uh, 59.5, excuse me, percent favorite over Elisa Mertens. Other than that, every women's match, right around 75-25. Halep, a 79.9% favorite over Cornish. Fiontech, 77.3 over Kirstea. Sapolenka at 73.5% over Kanepi is interesting because you look at the Arena Sapolenka odds. 
She is a favorite, but not that lopsided of a favorite, according to our friends at DraftKings. Sabalenka, minus 290 money line. That falls smack dab in the parlay zone in her match against Kaya Kanepi. Of course, they've played once in their careers. Kaya Kanepi knocking off Sabalenka last year in three sets in Australia. I don't believe the Australian Open in one of the warm-up events, if memory serves me correct, in Australia. You know, again, that's not indicative of the lopsided spreads. You look for Iga Shiantek, she's minus 650. Simona Halp, she's minus 900. That's what you'd expect given the tennis abstract odds. The most value play in terms of the disparity between those two metrics, tennis abstract and DraftKings, would be if you like Sabalenka as a favorite, you can get her at minus 290. If you like Kanepi as an underdog, plus 230, still pretty comfortable odds there as well. We'll keep an eye on that match. I don't like any of the money lines necessarily on on their own, but we will certainly uh, keep an eye on that match when we talk about the parlays, of course. You know, again, some of those matches, Collins, Mertens, yeah, Collins looked excellent in a three-set win over Clara Tawson, but, you know, Elisa Mertens is playing in her, you know, she's made 16 consecutive third rounds at Grand Slams. This fourth round of the Grand Slam, often the litmus test for her of how well she is playing. Collins will be her toughest test to date. You know, if you can get through the Mertens, you usually belong in the quarterfinals, semifinals, but the question is, how much juice does Collins have left in the tank after a physical matchup? against Clara Tawson, and certainly you look at Elisa Mertens, she does a lot of things well uh, that can make Danielle Collins uncomfortable, changes directions really well from the baseline, will play short angle, will incorporate slice, going to mix up the strike zone for Danielle Collins, not let her hit the same ball twice in a row. Now, Collins has the power advantage, and you do feel like if Collins plays her best tennis, she probably does advance in that one, but that's very much a pick if not maybe lean Mertens, just given you know how comfortable she's looked here in the early round in Australia, but that match, a stay away for me from a money line perspective. And, you know, if you look at the women's matches, I think you, you play more over-unders or the spreads there, or maybe you throw Sabalenka in a parlay a bit later. You look on the men's side, no 60-40 matches at all on the day. Overall, you've got, you know, a couple 70-30 or closer matches. Felix Ogier-Aliassime, a 61.2% favorite over Marin Chiller, Stefano Tsitsipas, 64.4 over Taylor Fritz, but you got Sinner, 80.7% favorite, Medvedev, 95% favorite against Max Cressy. I actually think there's more value in the odds on the men's side today. The, the odds makers a little less certain than the tennis abstract forecast. For instance, Yannick Sinner, minus 255 against Alex Diemenauer. Now, Sinner has dropped one set in his first three victories, but he's played unseeded players throughout the uh, his way. Alex Diemenauer, a beneficiary of Kasparud withdrawing, certainly from his section of the draw. But Diemenauer's looked better and better, and we talk about this on the segment all the time. Australian at home, in front of that home crowd. You better be damn certain if you're going to pick against them. That one's an interesting one. Again, the money line minus 255 for Sinner, not extraordinarily valuable. If you like Demon Hour, plus 205, I mean, lock that in right now. Those are nice odds in this match. I don't like, I just think the power advantage for Sinner, I, I think he, you know, I give him the edge and we talked about this coming into this and at this point of the tournament, you better be confident in your takes. I just think this is the Yannick Sinner slam. I think this is the one where he has that breakthrough run, makes it to the semifinals and, you know, pushes a Medvedev or, I mean, in this instance, it is Medvedev because that's his half of the draw, but, you know, beats a CT pass, pushes a Medvedev to four or five sets. I just think Yannick Sinner has looked 
he's he's not checked off every box you'd want to see from him in his first three rounds. And so, you know, I would take uh, Sinner here over Demon Hour, but not at that money line. And then, of course, finally, you've got CT Pass Fritz. CT Pass, uh, you know, or excuse me, Medvedev minus 3,500. No thanks. FAA minus 150 is is interesting. We'll get back to that. But Tsitsipas Fritz, I mean, Tsitsipas minus 175, that's indicative of how well Taylor Fritz is playing. And yeah, Roberto Bautista Agut pushed him to the brink, but he couldn't hurt Fritz. You know, Fritz was just, he looked so good from the baseline throughout the course of that match, was returning serve with such ease, and everything was played on his terms. And look, he's going to have to play on his terms, because if you let Tsitsipas play on his terms, Tsitsipas beats you. And so, you know, I don't know how... It, it's going to be if, if Fritz has moved better. There's no doubt about that. Again, it was really hard for RBA to hurt him. Tsitsipas has bigger weapons in his serve, his forehand than Fritz. But Fritz has the sort of weapons that can make Tsitsipas uncomfortable. He's got the sort of serve and you know heaviness in his ground strokes that can still overwhelm that Tsitsipas backhand because Fritz at his best, as he has been lately, is elite. And so that's a fascinating matchup. I don't think I like any of the odds because plus 145 for Fritz, that's not tasty enough like the Demon Hour plus 205 is, you know, the 2-1 to one there, to just think that he will confidently, given the weapons of Tsitsipas, be able to go the distance, especially coming off of a five-set match. Meanwhile, yeah, Tsitsipas has dropped a few sets, but I thought Benoit Pair actually played really well in that round th- three match. And I don't think Tsitsipas has played his best yet, but I think physically he's been able to work his way into this tournament, and that's what's so important. I could see this being the big win for Tsitsipas as he gains momentum here early in week number two. Again, CT Pass minus 175, smack dab in the parlay zone, but I, ref- I respect the effort of Fritz too much, who's serving too well, who does have the weapons to make CT Pass uncomfortable. That's a stay away for me from a money line perspective. Again, what are you going to do with Medvedev minus 3,500? Unless you like Cressy, and by the way, you put a nugget on Cressy plus 1,200, and then you can hit the live odds for Daniel Medvedev throughout the course of a match if he was to drop set number one. I mean, from a value perspective, Sure, why not do that? If you're going to follow things closely, if you like to live bet, which is the name of the game in tennis, ask Kale Hammond. Um, yeah, that's that would be the play there on that match is you bet the Cressy underdog, you live bet Medvedev if he does drop that first set. You don't put a lot on that Cressy underdog play, though, because very likely Daniil Medvedev will be advancing to the quarterfinals. I mean, but beyond that, you know, again— Felix minus 150. Chilich is playing extraordinarily well. He's like 17 and 4 in his last six months of playing. So I don't love the minus 150. Now, I do think Felix is going to win, though. And so is the minus 150 the value play there? No, I don't think it is. I think you move instead to the over unders and the game spreads. And that's where I want to move to next. And we'll start on this Felix Ogier Aliasim Marin Chilich match against Felix, a minus 150 favorite, according to DraftKings, a 61.2% favorite, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract. Felix has been great uh, throughout the course of this tournament, whether it was his five set win over Rusevori in round number one. And if you watch that match, you know, because Emil Rusevori, I think 92 in the world, entering the Australian Open, that had nothing to do with Rusevori's level of play. Rusevori was fantastic. He matched Felix on the serve, on the plus one forehand, was hitting his backhand so well, seemed to have taken another step forward as a mover. And yet Felix still beat him. You know, Felix did not serve well in that match, made only 55% of his first serves, yet managed to find ways to find first forehands. You know, I thought he was more the more consistent of the two players. He was willing to extend rallies. And after that five-set win, 
you know, he plays a physical four-set match, a four-hour, 19-minute match, which was longer than his first-round match, against Davidovich Fokina. And he beats him 7-6-6-7-7-6-7-6 in a match where he was broken two times over the course of four sets. You know, the most critical thing coming out of those first two wins, nine sets in your first two matches, he blitzed through. Daniel Evans in round number three. And again, from a matchup perspective, I talked about that in our our Crack Rackets Ace of the Day segment on that day because I believe it was our match of the day, um, our Patreon match of the day, excuse me. Um, And from a matchup perspective, you know, Felix did have the first serve and the plus one forehand to be a nightmare for Evans. Just first serves into that Dan Evans backhand over and over again to set up the plus one ball. And every slice Evans hits is an opportunity for Felix to hit a plus one forehand it's exactly what he did. Won 91% of his first serve points, saved all three break points he faced, 4-1-1 one, one in under two hours. That was dominant. That was the best performance for Felix, not only of this tournament, but of a season where he's already beaten RBA and beaten Zverev and beaten Nori. And by the way, you look for Felix Ogier Aliassime this year, I believe now he's 7-2. and two. In his first nine matches of the season, he's played exclusively top 50 opponents. I believe the majority of them top 30, top 20 opponents as well. And he's 7-2 and two in that stretch. It's a testament to Felix who turns 22 later this year. You know, again, still extraordinary young, extraordinarily young despite being in our lives for a while. He seems to be peaking at the most opportune moment. He's holding serve at a percentage higher than he ever has, 84.7%. Of course, again, it's still very, very early here in the season. But Felix has played really good ball to start 2022, as has his opponent, Marin Cilic, who, again, 17-4, and dating back to Moscow last season and, you know, has earned wins now over Rublev, over Fritz, RBA, Hatchinov during that stretch of time, has looked, you know, was dominant. In his four-set win over Andre Rublev, won 85% of his first serve points and, you know, 20% ace percentage. And, you you know, despite only making 54% of his first serves, just played on his term and is striking the ball so confidently now, so aggressively. He's playing as if he's got nothing left to lose because there is no more pressure on Marin Cilic. He's past that stage of his career. Everything from this point onwards, gravy for Cilic. And you see that freedom manifest itself in his game style. And again, he did not allow Andre Rublev to hit plus one, you know, to hit any forehand but a plus one forehand that was set up by a good Andre Rublev serve. Chilic went after every ball in the baseline rallies, just was the aggressor, was on his front foot, would rather miss than be subject to an Andre Rublev forehand onslaught. And that's the exact decisiveness. And it's a very similar game plan, even though it's different ways of going about it. Similar game plan. In that Chilich-Felix uh, matchup here today, the difference being I think the Felix serve is just better than the Rublev serve. The plus one combination, I think, equally effective, but I just think Felix lands more first serves in the box at a bigger rate. Now, I do wonder how does Felix handle the Marin Chilich serve? Will there be a tiebreaker or two? In this matchup, I do think there will be, but I think this version of of Felix, A, more confident than Rublev entering the match, B, fitter than Rublev, who obviously had the COVID diagnosis throw off his pre-match, his pre-tournament rhythm and, you know, hadn't competed at that level against a guy like Chilich yet this season. That was really his first exposure to that. FAA, meanwhile, much more battle-tested here in 2022. And then I also just think there's some regression to the mean. I think the Felix performance against Dan Evans was good, but it was very much within himself. It was very much just stick to the script, execute the game plan. He executed it flawlessly. I don't, you know, he played well, but I think he played well within the frameworks of a game plan. Chilich was just lights out 
against Andre Rublev. And to ask him to duplicate that performance a second time here against Felix, I don't know if he's if the number 27 seed, the 33-year-old, is capable of doing that. The minus 155 for Felix is tempting just in case Chilich does, you know, get an early break and run away with the set. But I really do think the young Canadian who saw his compatriot and friend Denis Shapovalov advance over Zverev yesterday. I think that's a motivational piece. And I think Felix has jumped to another level this season. I think his early results have been indicative of that. I'd give him the edge in the serve and the plus one forehand. I like Chilich's length and aggression on the return of serve better. And if Felix hangs the second serve, Chilich will make him pay for it. But I just, again, I like the second serve of, of Felix better than I like Rublev's. I like the confidence and the fitness of Felix more than I liked of Rublev heading into that match as well. Just give me Felix to advance in this one. And guess what? Instead of the minus 155 money line, let's take minus one and a half games. And again, is there a world where there's a runaway set for Marin Cilic? Absolutely. Is there a world where this match is another sort of 7-6-6-7-7-6-7-6 sort of match? Absolutely. But guess what? Even in that scenario, Felix Ogier-Aliassime, covers a one-and-a-half game spread. He just needs to win by two games to win this match. And if the bet is he's winning the match, then one-and-a-half games, uh, it makes just as much sense as a money line. The difference being money line's minus 155, minus one-and-a-half games is minus 125. There's more value in that game spread play. That's what we're going to do here. Felix, minus one-and-a-half over Chilich, minus 125, full unit to win 0.8 on this. Simply put, I think Felix, the forehand the plus uh, the serve, I think he can put the sort of pressure on Chilich routinely that Rublev was able to do throughout the course of the match on serve. I just think Felix executes better, and I do think Felix will be able to extend rallies a bit further than Andre Rublev. I think Chilich is a bit more comfortable trading, you know, plus one balls, and he's more comfortable moving forward when Chilich gets stretched, you know, taking time away from Aaron Chilich by coming to the net in a way Rublev. He's gotten better at it, but it's not instinctually what he wants to do. I just think Felix is better at taking time away than Andre Rublev is. Of course, if you give Andre Rublev time, he makes you pay perhaps more diligently than Felix does. It's a bet on Felix playing better than Rublev. It's a bet on Chilich regressing a bit to the mean. And again, I just think from a weapons perspective, I just I like the decisiveness of Felix going into this match. So Felix, minus one and a half games over Chilich, minus 125, one unit to win 0.8. That's game spread number one. The second game spread I like is Iga Sviantek. Minus four and a half games over Serana Kirstea. Now, again, that's better than the money line. That's perspective number one. Sviantek, 77.3% favorite. You look for Iga Sviantek. She's 21-1 and one over her last 52 weeks against opponents ranked outside the top 50. That's nuts. She's also 37-6 and six against opponents ranked outside the top 20. And, you know, you look at who some of those losses to outside top 20 opponents are too, and there's only six of them. She loses to Paula Bedosa now a top 10 player. She loses to Onjabur three sets, Wimbledon round of 16. Owns, top 10 player. I mean, just again, like context being key, the other losses, three sets to Konya, three sets to Kasatkina, you know, a straight set loss to Yelena Ostapenko in Indian Wells when Ostapenko was playing lights out tennis, and we know she's capable of that. Iga Sviantek beats who she's supposed to beat nowadays, and quite frankly, she should beat 
Serana Kirstea, who has certainly had a fast, fantastic tournament. You look uh, for Serana Kirstea here now on her way to uh, this, uh, excuse me, Australian Open round of 16, who she's been able to beat. Starts out, obviously, early in the tournament, beats Petra Kvitova in straight sets. She's coming off of a three-set win over Pavlichenkova as well. The 31-year-old, currently number 38 in the rankings, entering this event. You look for her in her career, though. 4-13 and 13 against top 10 opponents. Now, one of those wins came at this event where she beats Petra Kvitova. Uh, excuse me, came at this event where she beat Petra Kvitova last year. 6-4-1, um, 6-6-1 in the second round. But prior to that, she lost seven straight top 10 matchups at Grand Slams. And you look uh, for Serana Kirstea just overall in her career against top 10 opponents. 16-43. and 43. And, you know, again, I, I do think... For Iga Sviantek, oh, just wh- what what does Kirstea do to hurt Sviantek easily? If you don't have the overwhelming weapons, the big plus one ball, if you're not Ashley freaking Barty, who's the number one player in the world, Sviantek cleans your clock right now. Like, I just don't know what Kirstea does in this matchup to hurt Sviantek with. You look for Serana Kirstea, who, again, is playing really good ball. She held, you know, 66.4% of the time last season. That's above her career average. She broke 36% of the time of last season. That's smack dab at her career average. She's playing the best tennis of her career, but that hold percentage is still 66.4%, which is not only beneath Iga Sviantek's, but not a top 15 number. And her break percentage last year, 36%, that is a top 25 sort of number against uh, t- amongst top 50 players. But it, it, that number dips against top 20 opponents. You look for her last season, that break percentage dips all the way to 31% against top 10 opponents, obviously, that or against top 20 opponents, excuse me, obviously that's no longer a top 10 number. So I just think for Kirstea, it's her relentless consistency, right? Her ability to absorb, redirect pace, change direction, doesn't give you too much for free. You know, Iga Sviantek doesn't give you anything for free either. And if you don't have the weapons to hurt her, she's going to up her pace, up her weaponry, show you her toolbox. I think she cruises past Serana Kirstea and into the quarterfinals. And you look for Iga Sviantek thus far, her three victories, 3-0 and over Harriet Dart. That's nine games. 2-2 two and two over Rebecca Peterson, eight games. 2-3 and three over Kazakina, seven games. You can get Sviantek at minus, one se- uh, minus four and a half games, excuse me, for minus 175. That feels like a winner, folks. I don't know why we wouldn't hit on that. And so we're going to make that another lock. We're going to throw a full unit on the Sviantec minus four and a half games over Kirstea. She's been elite here throughout the early portions of the season, whether it was her win over Fernandez in Adelaide and, you know, the win she had over Victoria Azarenka as well uh, in Adelaide in those quarterfinals where she played so well to be out of very much informed Vika uh, in three sets. I just think these slow, high-bouncing hard courts have been perfect for Iga. She's confident right now as well. I think she cruises past Kirstea and into uh, the quarterfinals here of the Australian Open. So, Sviantek, minus four and a half games over Kirstea, minus 175, full unit on that to win 0.56. Again, it's week number two, no more small bets, full unit. Well, that's not true, but unless we're very, very unconfident. For the ones we're confident in, we're locking in those full unit wagers. With that in mind, again, just some of the other matches, over two and a half sets in Collins Mertens, plus 150. There's very much a world where Mertens crafts her way to a set where Collins power tennis is her way to a set, and then we figure out who's is better in the decider. I mean, all three of Arena Sabalenka's matches have been three sets to date. Is there any reason to think her match against Kaya Kanepi won't go three sets? Um, no. 
There's, I mean, there's reasons to think both players can win in straight sets, sure, but plus 170 is the play there if that's the sort of thing you're looking for. And again, the evidence suggests Sabalenka plus two and a half sets would have hit in all three of her first matches. Plus 170 feels like a little bit of a gift there from our friends at DraftKings. And the last time they played, it went three sets. You know, if you want under two and a half sets, Halep Cornet minus 500, Shviantek Kirstea minus 400. The parlay odds there are still like minus 210, though. It's nothing that appealing, I, believe me. I've looked into it, but, you know, Halep minus five and a half games. That's just a lot of games against an Alize Cornet who, yeah, went three sets in her matchup against Zidancic. And, yeah, you know, did she play overwhelmingly well in that match? No, and Simone Halep has played extraordinarily well, but five and a half games is a lot of games at, in this round of a tournament in a two out of three set match. So that's probably a stay away for me. On the men's side, I think there are a couple of overs actually that are worth you know considering. Certainly Felix Chilich with how well Chilich is serving and how well he's hitting the plus one ball. There's absolutely a world where he gets over the finish line and knocks out uh, and earns a set over Felix. I think Ditto, by the way, you know, Sinner, Demon Hour, you look at the two of them and just uh, how just how physical Demon Hour will make matches and he'll have the home crowd behind him and there will be that 10 to 15 minute energy push and boost that he gets from them. But Sinner, he's just been lights out. And yeah, he struggled for a set against Taro Daniel, but then he corrected ship and, you know, clinches that match with a 6-1 deciding set uh, in, in the fourth. And just, you know, for him, I... I think he wins the match ultimately, but I do think there's a world where Sinner scraps and claws and capitalizes on that energy and, again, makes that match physical and makes Sinner uncomfortable. Now, Sinner's on his front foot in that match from start to finish, and he's playing on his terms unless Demon Hour serves extraordinarily well, and he'll have to serve extraordinarily well in this match if he wants to keep it close. I think, you know, again, over three and a half sets, that one's interesting. Over three and a half sets in Fritz Tsitsipas interesting as well. What I've settled on for my parlays of the day, and you know that's where we can get to here now as we wrap this show, I'm weighing two back and forth. I have one written down. I might end up deleting it. Over three and a half sets in Sinner Demon Hour parlayed with an over three and a half sets in Fritz Tsitsipas. I think I'm going to delete that one. You know what we're going to do? We're doing an on-the-fly audible here. So we're going to go with a third ace instead, but we're going to double its unit. So we're going to do three one-unit wagers today, folks. My third parlay of the day, and I feel risky about it as it's coming out of my mouth, a Sabalenka-Sinner parlay. We're going to take Sinner minus 250 over Demon Hour. They play it at the next-gen finals. I know it's a no-ad format. I know, you know, indoor hard courts and fast four, completely different circumstances. I'm just noting Sinner beat Demon Hour. In that matchup, they played a really fun matchup at the end, I believe, of last season that I think went the distance three sets as well. Sinner, you know, Demon Hour thrives in these sorts of matchups because the top spin, the pace of his opponent, he can absorb it, he can redirect it. The problem is against elite pace, that's when things begin to struggle. That's when you can only do so much absorbing, redirecting over the course of a three out of five set match and four hours of tennis. I just think Sinner's on his front foot. Sinner's playing on his terms. And I think this is the sort of win he earns here to, again, tell the rest of the tennis world my continuing theory throughout these two weeks. I'm here to stay. I'm ready to be considered amongst the elite of the elite. I want my name to be, you know, not the replacement at the year-end finals. I want to be the guy qualifying for the year-end finals. And early quarterfinal fits the script here for Yannick Sinner, who's been dominant on hard courts over the past 15 months. 
Demon Hour is back in form. He's serving well. He's moving well. Sinner's by far his toughest challenge to date. And I just think, again, the weapons of Sinner win out in the end. So give me the Sinner money line, minus 250. Not great value on its own. We're going to ride the Sabalenka Express once more. And of course, you always like her much more as an underdog when she's got nothing to lose, no pressure. She can play freely. But if you look at the numbers, Sabalenka has gotten better and better throughout the course of this tournament. You look for Arena Sabalenka, you know, uh, 6 of 11 in terms of break points saved in her first round match, 5 of 10 in match number two. Four of six break points saved. She only got broken twice in her third match. Finally started to serve well, winning 78.8% of her first serve points. She made 65% of her first serves as well. That's the second time this season she's landed over six, uh, this tournament, she's landed over 65% of those first serves. And you could just see the comfort level improve throughout the course of those three sets. And whether, you know, Von Drusva, credit to her in that third round matchup, was playing the angles, playing the drop shots, breaking Sabalenka's rhythm, not allowing her to get comfortable throughout the course of the match. But then Sabalenka, I mean, the first set, but then Sabalenka got comfortable in set number two. And once she got comfortable, she cruised and she can still play the sort of elite power tennis where everything is on her terms. And yes, Kaya Kanepi has played extraordinarily well of late, particularly in January's, whether it was last season, her run to the Gypsland Trophy final and, you know, her wins there over Sabalenka, over Kasatkina, whether it was third round Australia that year where she beat Sonia Kennan as well. But you know, again, for uh, her to get to this point of the tournament, four and three over Kerber, physical match, and then two and six over Buskova, another physical match. Now it was two six six two six love for her in the round of thirty two to advance. She also hasn't served particularly well. She made forty percent of her first serves in that last match against Madison Inglis, and I just think if you're not making a high enough percentage of your first serves against Arena Sabalenka, she's gonna make you pay. You know, again, the fact that she's played three sets in so many of her matches here to start twenty twenty two despite serving as poorly as she has is a testament to those return skills. And again, I'm sure that loss from last January is at the back of Sabalenka's mind. I just think Sabalenka has played through some of the struggles. I think this is the first match where she plays dominant tennis from the start. I think she wins in straights. Of course, that means I'm probably most likely to be wrong about the prediction when you're that confident in Sabalenka. But I think she found something. And you could see the confidence. And that you know, Gil talked about this in Friday's mini break, and he did such a good job of doing that. Just there was a uh, almost a sarcastic relief in her expression on court after she won that third round match. Her hands went up in the air, as Gil said it, as though she had won her first Grand Slam title. Obviously, it was just making a fourth round, but it was sort of in okay. I've made it through the struggles. And by the end of that match against Von Drusova, she was playing the dominant tennis that we saw her flash at her best last season. And it was just kind of, okay, I'm back. I'm comfortable. This is where I need to be now. Will she rest on her laurels? That is certainly something for us to consider and an intangible quality. Um... But I'm going to bet on that confidence boost for Sabalenka riding into this match. And again, margins very thin in the fourth round. You got to try and find the best value when you can. We've been high on Sinner from the start. I said at the beginning, if Sabalenka wins her first round match, I think she can make the quarterfinals, finals of this, you know, semifinals of this tournament. I'm going to ride that prediction to truth. Give me Sabalenka, minus 290 over Kanepe. We're going to parlay it with Sinner, minus 250 over Demon Hour, minus 115. Full unit wager on that to win 0.86 as well. 
we're rocking and rolling, folks. We've got three aces of the day on the day. Now, the one I ended up cutting was a parlay of the over three and a half sets F.A. Chilich, Fritz, Tsitsipas, Sinner, Demon Hour for what it's worth. That's plus 229. Tasty odds, certainly. I don't know. Fritz coming off of five sets scares me. FAA, you know, winning three tiebreaker sets or even Chilich winning three tiebreaker sets scares me. I'm just scared of that bet, truth be told. And so that's a stay away from me. Some of the futures, you know, Barty minus 110 to win, Sviantec plus 475, Krechikova 8 to 1 to win. Pretty tempting. A Barty Sviantec final plus 330 might be my favorite futures bet on the board. Nadal Medvedev final plus 150. Medvedev to win minus 110. Nadal to win plus 225. At this point, Berrettini to win at plus 14, uh, 14 to 1. Pretty interesting. And then I stay intrigued by the Sinner at 20 to 1. But yeah, I mean, across the board, it, it should be a really fun day eight. Even if the tennis abstract uh, projections say there's not that much 60 40 play, it feels very much like a 60-40 day, particularly on that men's side. Again, I could see all of those matches going anywhere from three to five sets, and I think that variance is what's going to make day eight so exciting. Hopefully that variance doesn't impact our aces of the day, though. Hopefully that variance just makes for some exciting tennis. But again, to recap, day eight picks here for our GSP ace of the day segment. Give me FAA minus one and a half games over Chilich minus 125, one unit to win 0.8. Give me Sviantec minus four and a half games over Kirstea minus 175, one unit to win 0.56. And then give me a Sapolenka center money line parlay minus 115, one unit to win 0.86. Those are your day eight GSP aces of the day. Of course, as always, you want to hear a recap of all of the action. Tune on over to our mini break podcast feed, either wherever you listen to your shows or on our website, crackedrackets.com. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. I am at A.L. Gruskin. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f- of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. With that said, these are your picks for day eight of the 2022 Australian Open. We hope you all enjoy the matches. And as always, may the odds be ever in your favor. Good luck, everyone.